Welcome to the Sound and Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, Gina Isham, owner and founder of Dreamer Productions and Sound and Marketing Learning. I create, consult, and educate brands and individuals on the power of sound and marketing. To learn more about sound and marketing, check out some great resources, take some courses, and join a very cool community. Go to soundinmarketing.com. If you're a brand that needs help navigating the sound space through research and or a consultancy, or you're looking to create sonic branding, go to dreamerproductions.com. That's D-R-E-A-M-R productions.com. And let's chat. Now on to the show. For this season, I wanted to focus on definitions because if you don't fully understand the industry, it's harder to navigate it and harder to ultimately succeed. And that's why every episode will start with what is. Ideally, you could scroll through the episode titles and decide what specific voice topic you want to focus on for the next 15 or 20 minutes. Today, we will be discussing what is synthetic voice with a very special guest, Rupal Patel of Vocal ID. Rupal is the founder and CEO of Vocal ID, a voice technology company that provides AI-generated voices with personality. Vocal ID's award-winning technology leverages the latest advances in machine learning, signal processing, and voice analytics, along with the company's crowdsourced voice bank to create inclusive, diverse, and brand-aligned voices for organizations and individuals with special needs. Welcome to the show, Rubel. Thank you, Gina. I'm glad to be here. Tell us a little bit about yourself and your company and why you exist. I am the founder and CEO of Vocal ID, and Vocal ID, as you mentioned in the introduction, um, started off as a company really focused on um, individuals with special needs, those who had severe speech and language issues who could not use their voice as their primary method of communication. And so they relied on synthetic voice as a, um, as a way to get their thoughts and ideas out. So what these individuals do typically is they type on a screen or somehow enter a message onto a screen. Sometimes individuals can't even type and so they have to use their eyes or some other way to input the text. Um, and select text and input it. And then that is spoken out loud by a machine. And when we first started this, which was now <laughs> decades ago, um, you know, there were very few voices that were available. And so you, it wasn't uncommon to see a little girl using the voice of an older gentleman um, or, you know, voices that were just, you know, whatever voice was available is what got used. So the mission for Vocal ID when we started was really well, how do we make these individuals, we found in, my, in our research that I've been doing is that they can still make sound and that sound has a unique identity to it. And we wanted to give each individual who used a device to talk their own voice identity because that's their primary method of communication is how we get to know who that person is. And so it's really important that they don't treat it like just sort of the generic, generic voice talking thing, right? It's, it's an actual individual behind it. Um, so we started with that, and I think a lot of that same ethos continues to exist in what Vocal ID does today. We work with brands um, who are looking to create a, maybe it's a customer engagement um, voice bot. Maybe it's a specific voice for a particular product. We work with them to create their own custom voices, and then those voices are deployed to whatever application or device that may be. Um, so we really think that voice is really, really important. We know it's, an, it's a part of identity. And um, we think that talking devices should also emulate the voice that, voices that we hear around us in the everyday world. There's so much to unpack there. Uh, that's fascinating because I, I hadn't really, I was aware of your company, but I didn't know how much uh, you focused on disabilities and such. I heard about Val Kilmer and how he had cancer and he lost his voice. And so he has the, the trach in there. And so he sounds very 
scary, <laughs> honestly, because I mean, I grew up with Top Gun and all that stuff. It's so bizarre yeah. to listen to him now. And then um, I heard about so- Sonantic, who um, banked his voice. And you listen to this, and it's absolutely incredible how it sounds like Val Kilmer, you know, like from just what he had already had recorded, they put together and I don't, I don't know how they got the inflections and just the smoothness. It was, it was fascinating. Um, and so I can only imagine, I mean, this is a celebrity we're talking about, not the, you know, day-to-day people, but like, I can only imagine that he cried when he heard that because what freedom to be able to, to be there again for him. Some people have never been there. Absolutely. I mean, I think many people will often say, you know, um, oh, if I lost my voice, I, I would want something different. Or I don't really like the sound of my voice. People often say that. But I think you really don't, you're not really in that position until you are where then you think, oh my gosh, but that's actually a piece of who I am. And when you mm-hmm. have to communicate with this sort of the generic sounding voice, it, it really isn't um, a reflection of who you are. And I think companies are getting that too nowadays, you know, that several different, let's say, restaurant chains, they can't all sound the same when you're ordering something because you won't know what you're talking, who you're talking to, right? So I think that this idea of voice until now, it's been treated much like a utility and rather than really an expressive modality. Um, and it's really part of branding, I would say, which is interesting that we're talking about that today. Yeah, definitely. Um, I'm just thinking about, you know, that little girl that had a man's voice. I mean, what would that do to, you know, her psychological mentality, you know, like when she enters college and, and they're about like, what, what does that do to you when you express yourself and you hear somebody completely different than you? Absolutely. I mean, that's even, you know, an extreme nowadays there's, you know, voices that are obviously are gender specific and so on, but think about even, um, think about something not even in the assistive technology realm, think about an educational application that is used by kids in, I don't know, inner city uh, Dallas um, or Houston. Um, Shouldn't that voice sound a little different than the voice that is used for an educational app that's typically, you know, by kids that are in the Northeast of the country, right? Just thinking about things like trust and about adoption, um, voice is that final layer, how a, a product reaches its end customer. And if that final layer isn't one that can that you can feel like you can affiliate with or that you can feel like it is from your quote community, it's really unlikely that the content itself is also going to be meaningful for that end user. And I think this is the one piece that um, when you treat voice as a utility, it's sort of glossed over because it isn't okay to just slap on an Alexa voice or you know an, another poly voice or whatever onto an application because it lacks that final, like that final mile is so important for a product. And I think I'm hearing some product designers start to think about that, but I feel like it's one of the things that has um, been sort of on the wayside until the technology quote gets better, Um, you know? But I think that's a good excuse to say, well, we're thinking about all these other things and we just don't know what to do about voice yet. Yeah. You you were just talking about Polly and all of that. And I keep I've had this conversation here and there for a little bit now where if you think about it, when you talk to Alexa or you talk to Google, they're getting to market to your customers first because they hear 
Amazon's voice or Google's voice, and then they're they're intersected to whatever that company is. But if there is a way that you could get past that, and it's your voice assistant um, voice or your vo- vocal ID, <laughs> um, if that comes through first, then you can bypass this huge behemoth of a company uh, and potentially get a little bit more recognition for yourself. I think it's more than just that, Gina, because you're absolutely right. It's about the marketing first. But then the other thing, too, is when you have text-to-speech or synthetic uh, voice, you basically have text coming in, and then you have the voice that's being um, that's being voiced out, right? So when a company uses a service like an Amazon Polly or a Google, um, Google TTS, what they're doing is they're sending the text, the information that they want their customers to hear to Google and Amazon. And that that's being rendered as a wave file. Now that's data. That's really, really important data that now Google and Amazon have access to about your customers and about your product, right? I think that's an even bigger issue. And I think that's another mm. reason for why I mean Vocal ID doesn't have shares in bookstores and, and supply chain and whatever else, right? Like some of these big behemoths do. We are voice creators. We're not uh, trying to give you some generic voice that then you know, but at the same time also get that data. So these services that are provided by these big companies are really cheap, but there's a there's always a trade-off. We know that convenience has a trade-off and that trade-off in, in the sense for these bigger companies is data. And that data could be your business, right? Because it, it, it's your business about what you're talking to your customers about, right? That's actually the key insights about your business. And you're sharing that because you want cheap text-to-speech with Google and Amazon and whoever else. Yeah, I hadn't thought of that. And and also I, potentially with that data, they could find out what worked for your company and what didn't and better their company through it. Absolutely. So, Especially if they have competing products, right? And services. Absolutely. And Amazon does because Amazon has everything, right? <laughs> right. And I mean, I think Google has its own share of whatever it's doing and Facebook's coming out with its own and so on and so forth. So I think there's always trade-offs when we talk about buying services like, um, you know, any, any of things, even, even um, speech recognition. You know, people rely on speech recognition from the big giants, but at the, at the end of the day, you're, again, feeding the data to these models. Um, and it's not just like they use it just to do your text-to-speech uh, or ASR. Uh, they're doing a lot of other things with that data. Let's step back for just a second because we kind of like we're unpacking a bunch. Um, but what would you say, because this is a big definition, what would you define synthetic voice as? What, what would you be your definition? Because there's so many different forms of it. Yeah, so a synthetic voice is a voice um, that is created using machine um, learning techniques, um, but it's still based on human voice. And the idea is to be able to somehow emulate a voice by a machine so that you do not, you don't necessarily have to have someone say those same words again. The machine learns how a particular person talks and then uses that algorithm to create new samples of speech from novel text. So we train the machine individual um, initially, sorry, through basically giving it speech data as well as analogous transcripts of what that person was saying, okay? So it's that person's speech plus their transcripts. Those are fed into the machine to train that machine how to speak, let's say, like Gina, right? Um, And it learns how to speak like you as opposed to how to speak like universally, like someone who knows how to speak English, right? And it 
everything from the cadence of your voice to the pronunciation of different speech sounds to all of these things are learned by the machine. And it basically has a, a, a multiple layer algorithm um, to recreate speech like you. So you don't have to know, you no longer have to feed it once it's trained actual things that you said, you can feed it anything, any new novel text. And because it's learned how you speak, it can regenerate voice uh, that sounds like you or audio samples that sound like you because it basically reapplies that algorithm and algorithm on the other end. Does that make sense? That's amazing. It, it makes sense. It just, it seems so impossible. <laughs> I'm a long way, you know? So in the past, speech synthesis was um, was actually, well, there's many methods of speech synthesis, actually. I should start off with that saying there are um, at least probably half a dozen methods of speech synthesis. What we hear in our world today are two main methods of speech synthesis. One is sort of what Alexa and, and Siri and them are built on, and that's called concatenative, concatenative speech synthesis. Concatenation means the gluing together of little bits of speech. And then um, what companies like Vocal ID and, and some of the newer startups are starting to do, and also Google has also started to do, um, maybe Amazon has too, is using these what we call neural models or machine learning models. So machine learning models is what I just described earlier. The concatenative speech models where you actually glue together little bits of speech um, are very expensive to build and also very time consuming. And so most of most companies no longer really build methods that way. And because machine learning methods have gotten so good, there's no real reason to do the concatenative methods anymore. And in concatenative speech synthesis, again, you start off with a human actor, um, let's say it's you, and we get transcripts of what the person is saying, but you also then cut up the actual audio and the transcripts and save the little bits. Usually there are three sound combinations that are saved. And so now, when you type in something new, let's say my name wasn't said in the training corpus, Rupal, um, you have to say that word now in your voice. It will then glue together the ra from, you know, rabbit and the oo from Uber and the puh from something else and then glue those together in order to produce the word, the name Rupal. And so concatenative speech synthesis is more like storing little bits of speech and then gluing the right elements together. The tricky thing about that is that our pitch changes and our speed of pace, our pacing changes uh, as we speak. And so often you have to record lots of speech, um, usually 40, 50 plus hours of speech in order for us to have all the right combinations to make sure that the speech doesn't sound jilted or kind of like, like it's breaking at different points. So you need so much more speech and concatenative speech synthesis. And obviously it sounds human-like because it's, it's, based on human speech recordings, right? And that's why you hear Siri and it sounds very human-like, but you kind of also hear this jilted side of it or like something that doesn't quite sound right. And that's because you're sort of forcing it to have a particular rhythm um, because that's all, all those, those are the only elements you have of speech. Whereas in the machine learning based methodologies of speech synthesis, you can start off with very little speech um, of course, you know, people will tell you that they can you know, make a synthetic voice with five minutes of audio. It's true. The thing is, it's not gonna sound very good. What we've found in the work that we've been doing, and we've now made thousands of voices um, using our methodologies, is that you need about 60 to 90 minutes of good, clean audio to create a good synthetic voice. Less than that, you can still make a voice. It just won't sound as realistic sounding and it will work for some sentences, but not for all. So when we were talking a little bit earlier about the Val Kilmer voice and the intonation, 
It really depends on the kind of audio you fed it to get to be able to do that right kind of intonation as well. And then there's always post-processing that can also be done. So when you hear your voice, when you hear a few sentences of it, you know, you might be hearing something that's been kind of polished and, and, and so on. But when you hear lots of it, you can sense like sort of how robust is this voice as well. Tune in next week for the conclusion to our conversation. And don't forget to subscribe on all the major podcast channels. Share with friends, follow, read it. Spread the word because, well, more people should know about this stuff. I know you know that now. For any other inquiries, you can find me at Dreamer Productions. That's D-R-E-A-M-R productions.com or soundinmarketing.com, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook. You can also email me at Gina, J-E-A-N-N-A, at dreamerproductions.com. All links will be provided in the show notes. Let's make this world of sound more intriguing, more unique, and more and more on brand. <laughs>